Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 155. This cast is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buyless bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined, of course, as always, with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of Tales of Adventure and Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com. How are you guys doing this week? I am great, Robot Jeremy. Thank you for asking. <laughs> and Ed, how are you doing this week? Just good. Well, we have stuff to talk about this week. There's been a lot of developments in the MTG Finance scene, the least of which are most important, I guess you could say, is GP Vegas is coming up this week. Um, it starts in 48 hours. Unfortunately, we've had many of our listeners ask if the entire cast is going to be there. I believe Ed and I will be there at some point throughout the week. I believe Ed will be at Tales of Adventure and I'll be on site uh, a couple hours um, but Jim will not be able to make it. But every year there is a, a financial trend that tends to happen right after the end of uh, GP Vegas. And uh, in regards to how much money vendors spend and uh, what happens to prices after the GP. And I don't think anyone is more qualified to talk about this than Ed when it comes to post-GP Vegas prices. Um, we have a Modern Horizons uh, limited event, and then we also just have vendors buying a ton of cards. So, Ed, could you possibly predict what's going to happen in the weeks after GP Vegas? Uh, so, one of the most important things to note right now, I think this is kind of on the forefront of everyone's mind, and it's not directly related to Vegas itself, but it's uh, actually related to Modern. We have a banner restricted announcement uh, in one week from today, um, and uh, next Monday on August 26th. Um, I think a big part of that is people are expecting that Hogak will get the axe. It's been certainly warping modern uh, pretty substantially. Uh, GP Birmingham this past weekend had three copies of Hogak in a top eight. Um, it probably puts up more unhealthy numbers than what Wizards is wanting uh, for modern. It certainly is impressive in the sense that it's forcing people to play more graveyard hate than usual to be competitive. Um, so I, with that coming up, I do expect us to kind to see a shifted modern somewhat. I don't know what that looks like. Hogak was kind of the most recent development in modern. It's basically been that way since summer, uh, started with when Modern Horizons came out back in like June or something. Um, so if we are operating on the assumption that just Hogak gets banned, then I probably see that phoenix cards will uh become more popular phoenix was the most popular deck after um hogak and it it's been that way more or less since uh that card came out with guilds of ravnica um but regarding to vegas itself because it is a modern uh horizons gp there will be a lot of vendors buying the cards i imagine the people that are listing them in mass starting next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll probably see a small dip in prices as a lot of those hit the market. But I do think that with, depending on what the banner restriction announcement looks like on Monday and how much they decide to shake up modern, I do think that we might see if uh, some cards uh, surge in price as people adjust to the new post-Hogan modern. 
Yep, and we also have Commander uh, 2019 releasing this week as well. Uh, while everyone is at GP Vegas, there's actually been a ton of cards um, spiking because of the new Commander set. Jim, is there anything that you've noticed as far as like, oh, I definitely need this last minute in my Commander decks? Um, generally, I don't have that kind of issue because I look ahead of time and be like, yeah, these are the cards that I'm going to use for this deck before I get it. Um excuse me uh i don't like there's not like really unique there are unique commanders i don't know what i said i don't know how to explain what i want to say but basically i don't feel like i'm particularly drawn to any of the commanders that are in this new set in such a way that like i would go out and buy cards specifically for that deck uh i'm ready to like play with them a little bit see which one i like the best and then go from there which is not necessarily like the same as it's been in the past where like I've seen one particular deck and I'm like, man, this is the deck I want to play and these are the cards I want to get for it and I buy those ahead of time. Uh, with these, like I think they're all kind of interesting, but none of them drop jumps out for me as like definitely the one I want to play. So I don't have like a ton of insight into what kinds of cards people will want to buy for these decks. Uh, I think it's a bit different than last year where, like, I definitely wanted to play the Enchantress deck, and I bought the cards that I needed for that, and I already actually owned a lot of the cards I needed for that. And the year before, where they had the Dragon, like, uh, Tribal deck, and that was, like, definitely the deck that I wanted to play the most, and bought, I bought all the cards for that early. These decks are, like, good, and they have a lot of reprints that make it so that you don't actually have to buy that many new cards to make them good, but there's none that are like, yeah, man, like, I really want to play the new Chainer, like, I thought about it a lot, and, like, that was the one I was, like, the most on the fence about, but I think he's just, like, worse than the old chainer, so I don't really have a need to go out and buy cards for that style of deck yet. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, are you thinking of picking up anything from the new commander set, like reprints of Lightning Greaves, for example? Is there, or, like, as an established player, do you own enough Lightning Greaves and Sol Rings at this point that you're mainly going to stay away from singles this time around? Um, there are definitely singles. I, so I definitely do have a large collection of just, I'm going to say garbage, but it's just like commander stuff. Um, I, I tweeted about this like a couple weeks ago, but basically commander players are like a black hole for cards and they just buy them and never sell them because, you know, oh, I might need this for a deck eventually. And all of a sudden you realize that you own like 13 copies of Lightning Greaves that you just forgot about. Um, some things like Lightning Greaves in particular, I played when that card was in Standard, so like I just own a lot of copies of it because I bought a lot of Mirrodin booster packs a long time ago. Uh, there are a lot of cards in this set, though, that I do like that are new, and I've uh, actually pre-ordered a couple of copies of some of these things. Uh, I think Sudden Substitution is one of the better cards that you could be buying. Uh, I think that it's like interactive in a way that most of most decks like just don't have a way to deal with at the moment um it gives you a lot of it, it's very unique and it gives you a lot of ways to um deal with otherwise problematic spells or permanents which is good for the flex like the, the card's pretty flexible um i did also purchase a lot of copies of the land that name is escaping me oh sanctum of eternity uh that card is just probably the most busted card in this set and i don't think that people have played with it obviously to be able to appreciate what it does for you um 
It has a lot of applications. It's kind of it, it. Once people start playing with it, they'll realize how ubiquitous it is. Like it's really good with any commander that has a common play effect. It's really good with any kind of commander that can be stolen and like your deck doesn't do anything. Um, it's really good with commanders that uh, sometimes can cost a lot of mana to return to or to, to play again. So like being able to pick it up and then cast a wrath is usually going to be more cost effective than a lot of other things you could be doing. Um, I think that like it probably won't be on the level of Reliquary Tower in terms of ubiquitousness, but uh, it's not in all of the decks, which makes it a lot more rare than um, some of the other lands that they put it in commander sets. Like, uh, what's the tribal land called? I can't remember what it calls the place apt. Path of Ancestry. Yeah, I believe. Path of Ancestry was in every one of like in all four decks, and is still pretty expensive. Like it's, I think it's more money than this one was. Uh, Sanctum of Eternity was pre-ordering for, but because this is a colorless land that just like goes in every deck, like I think that it's going to be something that's going to be quite, um, quite sought after in the near future, uh, as as people start to play with it. Um, but like a lot of the other cards in the on this set are just like cool, and I like the new commanders, and I might eventually build something with them, but. I don't, I don't really like need any of the reprints. Like, so I, I could always use another solemn simulacrum, but like, I don't need to go buy more of them. I have every different printing of it now. Um, like, the, I don't know, River Kelpie was like kind of a hard one to get because I don't think it had gotten reprinted yet. Um, Bane of the Living is sweet with its new art, but you don't need like a ton of those. Uh, like, I can always use more. I think Sun Titan got reprinted again, if I'm not mistaken. So, that's cool. Um, that's one that I could always use another copy of, because, like, I'm way too lazy to move it to a different deck. Uh, this set has Cultivate, and Elemental Bond, and Farseek. Like, there's a lot of, like, like, pretty reasonable reprints that I could see if you, like, didn't own a ton of copies of, that you should probably just, like, get in on this. Like, Sakura Shrivelder, uh, Seedborn Muse. Um, actually, there's no Kadamas reaching this, which is kind of sad, but there's just like a lot of like reasonable cards, like just role player cards that you're probably going to want in your decks at some point in time. That it would be a good time to pick them up. Um, you know, like there's a Hedron Archive and Commander Sphere and um, Stryonic Resonator and Thran Dynamo and Ash Barons. Like, there's just like a lot of like good utility cards, but I have one or more of most of these things. There's not there's not like a premier card that like hasn't been reprinted in a long time that we just don't have very many copies of, like Oracle Mobile, which for some reason they just never want to reprint, and I don't quite understand why. But that's like the hill I'm gonna die on. One of these days they're gonna reprint Oracle Mobile, and I'm gonna buy like 30 of them, and they're just never gonna reprint it again, and I'm gonna be Rich, that'll be my retirement plan. Ed, what are you looking at from the Commander 19 set? Is stuff like, do you expect cards like Solemn Simulacrum to rebound, or do you expect that the demand for these cards out of the gate is going to lead to prices not moving much on these specific singles? Um, just kind of reading Twitter, which is not which is not the best way to get the temperature on how good the set is, but people seem fairly unhappy at the set. There's no clear-cut winner like there has been the past years. Most of the past years, there's usually been one chase deck. 
and most of the other decks had a, had usually one or two outstanding cards that really drove up the price on the deck. The fact that there isn't one makes me think that people might not be as hyped um, for uh, Commander this year around. Granted, again, this is just what this. These are just my observations. Um, I I imagine that there's no shortage of Commander players that are happy with these. They'll go out there and just buy these cards and be happy with the reprints. Be happy with. Uh, the decks themselves and just never say a word on social media um, so I think like some of the winners uh, a lot of them have already kind of been mentioned uh, there will in terms of short in the short term there will be kind of a depression in prices especially since we're kind of in that awkward period uh, but I do expect these to start re to rebound pretty quickly probably by October or so September October um, I don't think it'll take long for these to um, to do well, mainly mainly because a lot of these were either overdue for reprints or they do need, um, they just see so much play, there's a lot of demand for them that uh, any sort of depression will be, um, will just kind of uh, have the supply, and or not the supply, the demand will just, it'll, it'll just catch up to them pretty quick, so I think these will be fine. Uh, personally, I think that I would keep these sealed, I'm probably going to buy some number of, of uh, sealed cases and just stash them away and just leave them for a year or so when they just you know sell at you know two two and a half times msrp or something that seems like a pretty good idea i think, I think that it's um, important to note that like generally speaking with most commander sets the most expensive cards are the new cards and not the reprints so like if you look at the commander 2018 uh, of the top eight most expensive cards in that set, six of them are new cards, like new to that set. And the other two are Unwinding Clock and Avenger of Zendikar. So, like, there's definitely potential for reprints to get, you know, ex more expensive in the short term or even in the longer term. But it's unlikely unless they're pretty ubiquitous or actually, like, there's, like, not that many printings of them to begin with. So, like, Unwinding Clock is the kind of card that, like, I believe it's only got two printings, which is Commander 2018 and New Phyrexia. And Avenger of Zendikar is in basically every green deck, so despite it being printed in Worldweight Commander 2013, the Zendikar versus Eldrazi dual deck, and uh, Commander 2018 is still like five bucks. Um, things like Solemn Simulacrum will probably rebound, but like Tempt with the Discovery might not. Or. Um, I can't, I, like, off the top of my head, I can't think of, like, what the other, like, Chase, like, maybe Seaborn Muse is maybe not as, not going to be as expensive as it was after it got reprinted, but if you're worried about, like, what cards could get more expensive, it's definitely the newer cards that haven't been reprinted, like, that this is their first printing, because people tend to underestimate those, and then later on they decide that they need to own them, and they're quite expensive. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. Anything else said about no, I, Commander I think 19? Jim hit most of the good points on the head. Okay, so returning to Vegas real fast, because I feel like both you and Jim, and I think Jim can probably start first. Um, when it comes to GP Vegas, we will have a lot of listeners there based on just how many people are at GP Minneapolis and said hi to us and that they're going to Grand Prix Vegas. Um when our listeners go up to sell cards, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but it is sort of time sensitive, uh, how should they be presenting their cards to vendors? And if, like, if I was Jim and I was bringing a fat pack of cards to a vendor or like a binder, 
what would be the best way to do that? Because Vegas is going to be so crowded to maximize both of our times. I mean, so, Jim, do you have any any? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing you could do is do the work before you get there. Like, the more work that the vendor has to do, the less money you're going to get. And I don't know how much your time is worth, but if you want to get maximize the amount of money that you can make, you have to do you have to maximize the amount of work that you can do. Which means the cards have to be sorted, they have to be de-sleeved, you have to know what you want for them, you have to, um, you know, present them in a way that, that, that vendors can quickly go through them. So, like, have them alpha sorted, have them set sorted, if, if you're selling stuff that's, like, a little bit less expensive. Um, very recently, I've been going through a lot of bulk cards that I own and selling things that are between 2 and, like, 25 cents each. You know, make it easy for them to be able to count it all and to, to take care of it. Like, don't don't give them a 1K of unsorted, like, modern staple style cards and, and expect them to give you the top dollar for all of them. Um, you know, if there's, like, one card in particular that they really need, then they might pay you more for it. But the easier you make it for them, the more they'll give you because, they, you know, it saves them time and effort and aggravation of trying to figure out what's going on. So, uh Sort your cards, make sure you know how much you want for them. Um, you know, bringing up a binder, like your trade binder, and, and like having them look through it. Like, you have, if you're going to do something like that, you have to be, you have to be ready to say yes to every price. Because if you say no too many times, you're just, you're just wasting everybody's time. Um, that's, that's like my biggest thing is like, do your research, know what you can get for it, and be reasonable and realistic in your expectations. Like, if you have a card that's worth $100 and you want 90 for it, you're probably not going to get that. If you have a card that's $100 you want, like, 75 you're more likely to, you know, be able to get it done. Uh, obviously, it depends on what kind of card it is and, and, and all that, but, like, understand what, what, like, buy prices and sell prices are and make sure everything is sorted and de-sleeved. Please, 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 please don't bring them in sleeves. They will ask you to de-sleeve them and you'll just waste a bunch of time. Uh, I think like it really varies from vendor to vendor. I realize like some people don't care. Some vendors don't care if you bring them sleeve cards. Um, I I would prefer cards that aren't sleeved. I realize that that's not always avoidable. It just makes the transaction go faster. If you value your time at zero, you know, do whatever you want. That makes you happy. Some people are happy to walk around and shop around like a five dollar card and hope to get six dollars on it. You know, that's completely their prerogative. Um. I uh, I think, as Jim mentioned, the more work you put in, uh, you know, if your stuff is organized, if you have your stuff priced out, you know what you want, you know how much flexibility you have, you're going to have a better experience. Um, again, I had mentioned this. We talked about Ogre Boxing in the previous weeks. I'm more likely to overpay if something is already priced out. Um, I think a lot of people who do Ogre Boxes... The people that do the Orgo boxes the best are the ones that have real, realistic expectations on their cards. They have some room to flex. Um, everything is very priced. Uh, those are people that are just going to have uh, are just going to do the best. Um, I know roughly what cards are worth. If you have you know a card that's at like five dollars and you put it at six dollars my buy price is normally five i'll probably just pay you the six rather than try and look it up and then figuring and try to figure out if i want to go up or not uh that saves a lot of people time you're probably going to have a better response um 
the people that are lazy and just say, that just say, hey, do you match Card Kingdom prices? Um, unlikely you're going to get a good response because I'll just go through and you know just pull out cards that are less than Card Kingdom or that are that are good on Card Kingdom that are less than our buy list. Card Kingdom, despite being the gold standard for buy list, actually isn't the best on everything. Um, if you do the, the more legwork you do, the better results you're going to get. Um, that being said, I don't expect to be able to buy everything in Ogre Box if you do your job right. If you, um, if you're really trying, to, if you're really trying to stretch your dollar and get as much out of your cards as possible, um, it's reasonable to expect that a single vendor won't be able to take everything. If they did take everything, you probably had your cards priced slightly too cheap. If they took a very very small portion of cards, either they're hurting for money or you had you had just priced your cards too high. Um, what, what what you do is really up to you. I realize like some people don't care. If you just hand if you just hand a binder, you're probably not going to get the best number of your cards, and that's fine. We have no issues with buying from those people. So again, some people just don't care. That's you know that's completely their prerogative. Um, there will always be the people that shop around. If you shop around and you value your time at nothing, you're probably not going to get the best response from a lot of vendors either. Um, it's one thing to shop around. A, a high-end card that's a thousand dollars plus it's another thing to shop around like a thirty dollar sealed pool um that's really what i have that's kind of my experience dealing with people um your your mileage really varies that's really the advice i can give and that's how i would that's how i would approach people if i had people coming up to me and that's how i would want these people to prepare and have their uh buy list piles ready I think good advice. Sorry, I just want to interrupt. Uh, one thing I kind of forgot to mention. I I don't know if this is necessarily true for Vegas, but at most Grand Prix, I I feel like the best day to sell is the first day of the Grand Prix, not the last day of the Grand Prix, because vendors are more likely to have more money to spend and they want to spend it on cards. So um, you know if you're like correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, if you are going to the Grand Prix and you're planning and you're not sure like what days you're going to do things, if you're going to sell cards any day, uh, the best days usually to sell are the first day and the best days to buy are the last day. So that it was correct, except for GP Vegas last year, where like they opened up a small room and I think vendors had to pay extra for that day and the lines were insane. So last year's Vegas, the best day to sell was the second day when all the vendors were able to buy and sell cards. But that is the one outlier, at one outlier, and maybe the hundred Grand Prix I've been to. Yeah, I think that's like more of an exception so. than usual. Exactly. You know, if, if, if something yeah, like that happens again, right on the well, head, it's probably not the um, not not optimal. But uh, you know, if there's every vendor in in the room is there then you want to go as early as possible when they're more likely to want to pay for you know whatever cards you have because even throughout the day like if you buy a hundred like let's say a vendor buys a hundred copies of box opal the next 20 copies they might still buy but they're not going to pay as much as they did on the first hundred right like you don't need that many of them yep 
And speaking of something that you definitely need 100 copies of, where do you guys think the promo soul ring, both foil and non-foil, are going to go? Because it feels like social media has been pretty crazy over this card lately. I mean, it's really sweet and I'm going to own a copy of it, but I can't stomach paying more than like $20, $25 for it because I feel like there's just going to be infinite of them eventually. Like, I understand that it's more expensive. It will be more expensive than a normal copy of Soul Ring, but if you look at like even the the like promo and the other foil copies of Soul Ring, like they're not unreasonably expensive given how rare they are. And this is not the only event that that Soul Ring is going to be given out. At. Like I've seen Gavin and Verhe say time and time again that you know if you don't make it out to Vegas, then you're not SOL. Like you can have another chance to get a Soul Ring. I just don't know how else you're getting soul rings. Like, are they going to be on the prize wall? Like, that that's a thing that, like, will definitely impact how much they're going to cost. Like, if you could buy a soul ring for 30 tickets or 50 tickets or 100 tickets, like, on, on the prize wall, that'll definitely change how much people are willing to sell them for. Um, and I'm not really even sure how you get the foil copy versus the non-foil copy. I, like, that's not even clear to me, but I haven't done a ton of research into it. So... My expectation is that it will not be that expensive eventually, but it might be very expensive after this one Grand Prix where they release it. Uh, I think I'm more or less with Jim on this one. Uh, I think the fact that they have definitely confirmed that these will be available at some point in the future at some other event, uh, it creates a certain level of uncertainty. Um, it might deter some people from wanting to go out and just spend a large amount of money right away. But without having further details, I mean, we don't even have, like Jim said, we don't even have details, I don't think, about how to obtain them at this event yet. Um, it might be on the page somewhere. I haven't seen it. I haven't looked that deep. But um, without knowing more, it's kind of hard to pull the trigger both as a vendor and as a player on what to do with these. I imagine there's probably going to be some people that just don't want to get rid of them Uh and then conversely, there will be some people that just get it and then they just want to sell it right away so that they have money to play in more events or do whatever else. Um, I am intrigued by the non-foil one the most. Uh, that card has a fairly high floor for being an uncommon and for being reprinted as many times as it has. And the fact that it has, it has gone through so many different variants, there's just so many different arts, there's so many different ways you can get it. Uh, despite the fact that people do need a bunch for their deck, the fact that it does go in every commander deck is kind of balanced out by how many different options there are. Um, I don't know what that number would look like. Uh, again, it, it depends entirely on availability, but I don't know what that number looks like for people to want to go buy it. In my mind, I don't see the foil being worth more than like $10 or so. Again, it depends on availability, um, which I do think is a little bit is a little bit on the high side. It could even be lower, but again, it depends on the availability and how many are really out there because we're already looking at $5, four to $5 for uh, commander soul rings. You can buy like beat revised soul rings for probably about the same price or so. Um, and then if you obviously want to scale towards nicer ones, foil ones, uh, from the vault is the cheapest one at like $55, $60 or so. Uh, yeah, the F the FTV one is the is the cheapest foil and it's ugliest and so like it, I it, and it's pretty rare. So I, I think that like people overestimate how much this is going to be. 
it's not a masterpiece. There's not going to be very limited amounts of them, and they're not full art, and they're not going to be very difficult to obtain. Right, right. So I like I think your analysis might be on with the price, like twenty twenty five dollars is probably where the foil ones are. But again, it depends on what uh what kind of availability they are. I don't I feel like they might not be available in the prize wall. They probably want to keep these things more more uh concentrated towards their events and then that kind of incentivizes people to play them as they're just trying to play maximum EV events, playing track playing the double ups and then just cashing out a bunch of soul rigs, for example. Um, again, that remains to be seen. I'm not sure what that looks like, but, um, I imagine that probably within, by Thursday or Friday or so, we should have a better idea of how many people are going around trying to sell them, what price we're buying them at, etc. Yeah, that's, uh, it's good for people to, um, to understand. Anything else that we want to talk about, uh, Vegas wise before we move on? Nope, I think we're good. Okay. Um, so moving on. Uh, a lot of people have to take their cards on the road. It's just another topic that we haven't covered in a while. What is the best way for them to store their cards if they're, say, flying to a Grand Prix or just traveling to see some friends that you guys would recommend to keep their cards from getting dinged up? Not to play with, but more cards that like they want to own as investments or stuff like that. And is it worth it anymore to bring a trade binder to like your LGS or stuff like that as well? Um, so I don't really go to my LGS anymore to play Magic. I go there to buy cards, to sell cards, and maybe do a pre-release every once in a while. Uh, I know people still have trade binders, but I don't know how ubiquitous that is in terms of like people sitting down and making a bunch of trades. I, I like. It just seems like a lot of effort when you could just sell it to a store and buy what you actually want and not have to deal with the back and forth. So I, I, I think your your mileage may vary depending on your location and how you know, that works out for you. Um, I've never treated it a Grand Prix, mostly because I just there's just always better things to be doing. Like, if I really want a card, I'll go buy it from a vendor. Um, but I feel like that maybe not everyone's uh, prerogative. Uh, I have disposable income where, like, I don't really care if I spend money on cards or if I trade for them. Uh, if I bought a card, I'm probably going to want to keep it. And if I don't want to keep it, I'm just going to do the easiest thing and sell it back to the store. Uh, I understand that that's not the most cost-effective way to play Magic, but at this point, uh, my time is worth more than the amount of money that you save by doing that. So I don't really trade very much anymore. Even when, like, my local commander group, like, they all have trade binders and they, you know, at, you know, for the first hour of the night, maybe they do trades and stuff. And I just have no interest in it. Like, I have some binders with cards, but that's mostly for sorting purposes, not for trading them. Um, what was the rest of the question? I'm sorry, I forgot. Oh, uh, traveling with them? Correct. So, I don't recommend bringing large numbers of cards uh, that you're going to play with specifically uh, with you. Um, just, like, keep it to, like, one or two decks if you're going to, like... I play a lot of Commander, and I'm the kind of person that has a lot of different decks. I would not recommend bringing all of them with you. It's a lot more to worry about and a lot more to keep track of. Uh, if you're just bringing cards to sell the places, 
take them in your carry-on in like a 1K box with a, you know a, a lid that you can close. Or if you really want something nicer, uh, I mean, like if you really, like really expensive cards, like you can keep them in sleeves and they won't get dinged up in the box, uh, or they shouldn't get dinged up in the box because you're going to be carrying it. But uh, I don't generally take like a ton, a ton of cards with me. Uh, I think that's mostly because my local game store is cool stuff, and I could just drive to the store. It's like 10 minutes from my house, and just sell them there, and not have to deal with like carrying them to a Grand Prix. So I don't know if I, my case is necessarily the most average. Uh, I haven't carried a trade bond. I haven't carried a trade bond in a very long time, so I can't really speak to that. Um, I would never go back to trading. I think it's a giant nightmare. Um, it's bad enough to have to deal with people in yes or no transactions for cash. I can't imagine what it's like to sit there and grind out trades and trying to squeeze out marginal value from each exchange. Uh, as for traveling, uh, I have pre-check, so I rarely get busted over my cards. Um, before I had pre-check, I would generally open up my suitcase, pull out the, the uh, rows of cards, and put them in a separate bin. Um, for the most part, most officers would just, uh, after it goes through a scan, they would just open up the box, look at it real quick, realize it's cards, and then just put it back. Had some particularly incompetent ones that felt the need to go through and examine each card because apparently they couldn't figure out that they were all the same just by looking at them. Um, but uh, again, if you take them out of your bag, for the most part, it should be fine. Usually that helps speed up the process instead of making you, instead of having them pull your bag aside for secondary and then have them go through your entire bag for these cards. Um, that's really about it. Uh, one rows are what I use. I don't really use... Some people seem to like to use four rows or two rows or whatever. I don't really recommend those, considering I've had a suitcase that the four row actually opened up inside of it. Um, and that was kind of a disaster to deal with in the aftermath. Uh, one rows, especially because the fact that they closed down makes it very, very hard for them to just bust open. Um... Other than that, I don't really have any other tips when it comes to traveling. Uh, it is Vegas. It is a big event. Um, I would just make sure you only bring what you need. If you're, you know, it, plan out your schedule, figure out how much magic you want to play. Bring only your deck if you're there to sell cards. Bring what you need to sell. Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on your bag. Um uh, because there isn't a lot of space, and I know that there's just a lot of people, um, just keep an eye on your things. That's all I can really recommend. There's certainly going to be some sob story that we see about on Reddit on, you know, Monday or something. Someone lost their deck. Um, it's going to happen. You just have to be able to mitigate the risk and just do what you can to protect yourself. Um, if you do lose something, uh, go to lost and found. That's step one. Um, if you can remember where you were at, I've had plenty of players that, uh, their opponent took the match slip, signed off, uh, or signed off on the match slip and then walked off to go turn it in and they just left their deck on the table. Um, if that happens, if you're able to retrace your steps, that's what I usually recommend people. That's a reasonable way to get it back. If your opponent is gracious enough, most of the times I'll see, they'll just, you know, if that happens to me, um, I just call a judge over and say, hey, this was my opponent's name. This is a table number. He left his deck here. Can you make sure that if he goes to lost and found or something, it, you know, finds its way back to him? 
that's really all I can recommend um, in terms of traveling with your cards. Just be careful. Uh, this certainly is... Uh, I, I, I feel like stealing is, a, is certainly a crime of opportunity, especially with magic cards. They're largely untraceable. Um, you don't really have a lot of recourse if someone decides to steal your deck. Um, that's just the unfortunate reality of it. So you just have to do what you can to protect yourself. Yeah, so while you were talking about that, I, I remembered some stuff that probably could also be helpful to people. Uh, if you're packing your cards in one case, for example, make sure that they're full enough that they don't like rattle around. Um, you can pack them with like excess basic lands or tokens or something to fill in the space so they don't move around that much. Um, you can use uh, like an empty deck box to, to take up space, or um, sponges are actually pretty good because they don't move. Uh, you can use that to uh, keep your cards from, you know, moving around in the box and getting scraped on the sides. Uh, and then, you know, as far as, like, watching your stuff is concerned, um, when you sit down with your, you know, to even just, like, a vendor table or whatever, uh, one thing that I would recommend that you do uh, is make sure that your bag is between your legs and you put, like, one of your legs through one of the um, arm loops. It's... Basically, takes no effort, and if anyone tries to walk off with your bag, you know, they'll get your leg with it, and you'll obviously be able to stop them. Um, you know, that it, it, it's just like a simple thing to do, but I see sometimes players, they sit down, they open their bag, they take their deck out, they put it in front of them, and then they put their bag, like, next to their chair or underneath their chair or behind their chair, and it's very easy for someone to just walk by, take your bag while you're not watching, while, while you're, like, you know, you're having, like, a really, like, complicated turn or whatever, and then... All your stuff is gone. So, um, you know, good, like, bag safety, I guess, or, like, good bag management is important uh, because every, basically everyone there is going to have a bag of filled with something of value. So that's pretty important. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. I think that you guys both raised uh, some good points. Um, I prefer 400 counts when traveling because I can, like, position the more in my backpack but if you're taking like a, a real bag on a plane or like anywhere i think one rows are correct um for ed um yeah just uh don't be stupid don't leave your cards in your car or like don't leave anything in your car that would show that you're a magic player so like if someone walks by and they see a bunch of d20s like odds are you probably have something in your trunk so just, just don't leave anything out that, like, makes you stand out from a normal player. Uh, or that makes you look like a normal player, I guess I should say. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's move into pick of the week. Our Cool Stuff credit winner will be back up tomorrow. Uh, so I think we'll be picking two credit winners for our next recording. Uh, so we kind of spoke about Modern Horizons and how prices are probably going to dip over this weekend. Uh, there is some concern that if buy lists are high enough, that that'll actually raise the price on some cards. Uh, so I I kind of want to be focusing on Modern Horizons cards right now. I think as a general rule of thumb, I don't see them getting much cheaper. I think if you want to pull the trigger on something, you probably should figure out how much it's worth it to you to have it right now versus trying to wait a week and see if it drops some. Um, right now, I'm currently looking at the five uh, Horizon Lands. A lot of them... Um, a lot of them have certainly seemed to bottom out in price. I don't see them getting that much cheaper. To me, the fact that uh, all of them except Sunbait Canyon is below $10 is kind of nutty. Um, 
we've definitely seen the price trajectory for Horizon Canopy, the fact that it was reprinted after Iconic Masters, and then it proceeded to rebound pretty quickly, probably should be indicative of how uh, these these cards will react. Um, I think even some of the more unplayable ones, like I think Silent Clearing, the white-black one, and Waterlogged Grove, the blue-green one, they're like, you. I think... You, they're like $8 or something. To me, that seems insanely low um, for them. Uh, they don't necessarily need to see a ton of play. I think just their mechanic, kind of the uh, the price memory that's built into them in the sense that these are Horizon lands. People know how much Horizon Canopy is. I do think that these are probably going to be as low as they're going to be. And I think that bef- like probably by the end of the year, we'll see them at like 25% higher at least than they are now. So I think if you haven't had, you know, your set, and for frankly, for most of these, a set really only means like two copies or so. Most decks don't necessarily want to be playing four of them. Um, I don't think it hurts to just pick up, you know, two of each right now to get out of the way if you plan on playing Modern, you know, in the coming months. And especially with how Modern will probably shift next Monday, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Fiery Islet decides to just you know, jump up in price because Phoenix is going to be the best deck again and Fire Ellet is is like one of the few additions from Modern Horizons to that deck. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. I think it's kind of silly that like the cost of Hinterland Harbor is like four or five dollars and for two or three dollars more you can get a land that's only been printed in a seven dollar booster set instead of a land that's been in two standard legal booster sets, like big sets that people have bought a lot of. So I, I like even if you're a player that plays Commander and you don't like necessarily see yourself as needing a ton of these Horizon lands, I don't think that it's like a bad idea to just buy one of each of them. Um, you know, they're not gonna get cheaper in the meantime. They might be, but like realistically, how much cheaper can they get before People are just going to buy them out because they, they are better than that. And they're in a very limited print run. So, oh, not very limited, but like very unopened set because of how expensive it was. So I don't know. I'm just I'm just amazed that they're as cheap as they are. Like I understand they don't necessarily go in every deck, but it doesn't take a lot for them to get, you know, to get really, really good. And then people have to buy them. And then when there's, you know, when people do buy them, they get very expensive. Like if you look at Ren and Six, that's like the worst case scenario and what happens to a card. It started out at like twenty dollars in pre-order prices. People didn't really think it was as good as it was. And then they started playing it in you know a bunch of different decks, and they didn't even necessarily play four copies of it. And it's still like the most expensive card in the set by a lot. So I think that people need to really take the opportunity when they have it to buy cards that they know that they will play. Like if you're a person that plays blue-green decks in Commander all the time, or black-white decks in Commander all the time. Just do yourself a favor and buy this dual land now before you need it. It's it, it's just like it's just a smart investment. Um, dual lands are always necessary and they can always get more expensive. So, do you have a pick of the week, or are you just agreeing? Uh, with that I was agreeing with that, but I also have a pick of the week. Uh, my pick this week is Eldrazi Monument. Uh, it's a card that if you play modern and standard and legacy or vintage or whatever, you may not even know what it does. Uh, but if you play Commander and you ever play against a person that's playing a token deck with an Eldrazi Monument, you just, like, you know you need to kill it and nothing matters until you do. Uh, it, it, there's a, a token deck in the Commander set that doesn't have one. 
and doesn't necessarily need one, but I don't think it's outside of the possibility that people start to build that from a taller token deck to a wider token deck, which would necess- uh, which would want people to play more cards like Eldrazi Monument that buff things um, going wide. Uh, it's a card that has only been printed three times, once in Zendikar, once in Commander 2015, and once in Commander Anthology, which for all intents and purposes is really not really a reprinting. Uh, and it's still like $10, so... Uh, I don't think that it's going to go down. It didn't get reprinted in this token deck that would probably have benefited from it the most. And I don't really see a place for it in the near future as far as reprints are concerned. So I feel like this is a pretty easy one to purchase. I I think the fact that it's an artifact makes it a little bit <clears throat> wider in application. Granted, the fact that it's you know kind of focused on token mechanic more or less relegates it to like green and white decks. But this is one of those cards that you know, the lack of printings uh, makes it just very desirable. Um, it's kind of hard to slot into a normal set because it's very plane-specific. So I definitely really like this pick. Yeah, and I think that people My, don't really uh, quite understand, like, it doesn't read as good as it is, but once you play against it once, like, it's the kind of card that if one person in your playing group plays it, then all the other people are going to buy a copy next week. Yep. My pick of the week um, is a card that's finally bottomed out, it feels like, um, and it's a Legacy predicated pick. Currently, four-color Renin 6 is the deck to beat in Legacy. Um, Back to Basics has finally started to bottom out. It's no longer an $80 card. You can get these for about $7. And a lot of decks are starting to fight back against Renin 6 decks by playing stuff like Back to Basics. Um, so this is a card that if Miracles comes back or if... Um, blue base control decks like Stoneblade start to see a resurgence, I can definitely see this card going back up to 10 to $12. But right now, it, uh, the price has finally um, gone down to what feels like an appropriate point. And um, based on what Paul Fudo of MTG Deals said uh, when we had him on the cast earlier this year, we can expect to see Ultimate Masters Rare starting to spike at the end of 2020 and mainly 2021. So this is a card I want to have quite a few of um, when this goes up. Now, I obviously have some because I run Legacy Tournaments. I think I have two or three playsets. But I'd probably be looking to increase my position when card prices generally go down in October. So I think I'm going to make a call and pick up a couple more sets of this. Ed, anything you want to add to that, or you just want to bump no, your no, mic? I'm, I'm just moving stuff around, sorry. He's just here <laughs> to bump his, bump well, his mic so you can edit it out later. Yeah. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Where can people find you guys? On social media and maybe uh, in real life? Ed Wynn. You guys can find me on Twitter at edwin13. I'll be in Vegas uh, tomorrow through next Monday. I'll be behind the Tales of Adventure booth uh, for most of the weekend. Uh, is that it? I think that's it. Do we have any events soon? I don't think we have any events soon. That's it. That's all I got. I think I'm forgetting something, but that's all I have right now. Okay. Uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore... You can find me on uh, this lovely podcast. And if for some reason you play a lot of Pokemon Go, you can find me at the Safari Zone in Montreal, September 20th, I believe. I don't know, the Saturday. 21st, sorry. The 21st, I'll be there.
I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. I will also be at Vegas all week, same time as Ed, uh, till Monday. Um, I will be attending the Nerd Rage Gaming Legacy 5K with a bunch of Missouri boys uh, on September 14th, and then I will be running a modern $10,000 uh, cash tournament at Moonbase Market on October 5th. So thanks for listening to this podcast, guys. We do appreciate all of our listeners. We hope to see some of you soon. And as always, bye-bye.